0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we believe that you inspired the writing of the book of Samuel. We believe these words not only had power in the day that they were written, but these words have power this day because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, open this word for your church now that we may hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your holy word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I want to live a life of generosity, but I fail at it all the time. I want to live a life of generosity, but I fail at it all the time. And I'm not alone. Statistics that are not so old say that among regular church attendees, Christian active church attendees, 22% give nothing. A majority give two to three percent of our income and only nine percent of active church attenders give a tithe or more. What we would put under the heading of generous giving. And what's interesting is that as bad as these numbers are, these numbers were self-reported and so the truth is probably even worse. As Martin Luther once said, there are three conversions necessary to every person. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the purse. It reminds me of the story of the priest who goes off to a conference and the speaker lands a great opening joke when he says you know for years I have enjoyed the love of a woman who is not my wife and the crowd gasps and he says and that wife that that woman is my mother the crowd laughs and so I thought appropriate on Mother's Day right well Father Bob goes back to his parish on Sunday and says I'm going to do the same joke But Father Bob is often forgetful. So he gets up and he says to his congregation, For years I have been enjoying the love of a woman who's not my wife. And then he pauses, forgetting the punchline, and says, And I forget what her name is. (laughs) See, the reason that we fail to live generously is my point that we forget. We, we, we fail to live generously because we forget, we forget the gospel. The gospel, in fact, drives us to generosity, moves our hearts towards generosity. This is not an act of the will, this is a response to the gospel. And when we forget the gospel, we will forget to be generous. See, this Hannah story reminds us, on this Mother's Day weekend, we have a story of a, a mother. It's a powerful story about motherhood. And Hannah's story of motherhood helps us remember the gospel, the gospel that leads to generosity. See, as you'll see as we open up 1 Samuel chapter 1, if you turn there with me in your Bibles or iPhones, that we, like Hannah, who were barren, we'll unpack that in a moment, we, like Hannah, were barren. We, who, like Hannah, were barren, empty, have been blessed. God has taken those who are empty, those who are without, and has filled us, grace upon grace. But for those who, like Hannah, were barren and now blessed, that blessing has been for the sake of blessing others. Hannah shows us that the blessing is not for us. The blessing is for a blessing to the other. See, first, we, like Hannah, were barren. Verse 2 of 1 Samuel 1 tells us that Hannah had no children. And in the ancient Near Eastern context, we've got to understand this meant absolute hopelessness. It was considered culturally as a curse. Infertility was considered a punishment. It was the family's greatest misfortune in the ancient Near East because it was through children that you secured your future. No wonder Rachel says to Jacob in Genesis chapter 30, verse 1, who also is barren, give me children or I die. Now we need to note that the Bible never says that infertility is a curse from God, particularly on an individual. We need to make sure we understand that that was the cultural understanding, but that's not what scripture says. Because we know in our world there is still so much pain and hurt around the question of barrenness and infertility and childlessness. Scripture does not say that God closed Hannah's womb because she was bad. It simply says in verse 5 that the Lord had closed her womb. We don't know why. We it was nothing particular that Hannah had done. It was instead just another one of the results of a broken creation. What do we see at the beginning of creation? It is a creation meant to procreate and be fruitful. Genesis 1, 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's how creation was made. And so as we have broken creation with our sin and rebellion against God in Genesis 3, as we ate the forbidden fruit and rejected God's leadership, thereby destroying our relationship with God and fatally destroying our creation, breaking our creation to the core, barrenness for Hannah and for so many others that struggle with that is just yet another piece of the fallenness of creation. The world is not meant to work this way. We are meant to be fruitful and redemption is coming. But if therefore barrenness here, if we understand it for our purposes this morning, unpacking Hannah's story, When we read Hannah's story in the light of all of scripture, if barrenness here, if you'll go with me, if barrenness means being empty, if barrenness means being needy, being poor, feeling that you have no future, feeling hopeless, if that's what barrenness means in this story, hopeless, then we have all experienced Hannah's barrenness in a way. We've all experienced what it is to be empty and to feel that we have no future and to feel ashamed and to feel worthless, to feel empty. We feel that barrenness materially in our lives. I always love to tell the cucumber story. Monica and I celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary yesterday. And in the first year, I know she's patient first year of our marriage the worst fight we had in that first year was over a cucumber we were in a grocery store and we were grad students and were poor as church mice and monica wanted to get this english cucumber and i didn't feel like we could afford it like we were that poor and there in aisle six it became the worst fight of our marriage thus far over a cucumber and I look in our refrigerator drawer today and there's lots of English cucumbers what's amazing is how quickly I can forget that experience of barrenness of emptiness, of want but we've not only been barren materially, we've also been barren spiritually, eternally at a cosmic level. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 speaks of the condition of man and woman's heart that remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and no God in this world. That is what we were. We were spiritually barren empty but the good news is that God meets us in our barrenness God meets us in our emptiness he seeks out those who have nothing we like Hannah were barren but thanks be to God we like Hannah Barren as we were, have now been blessed. See, despite the tragic, comedic interaction with this priest Eli in verses 10 to 20, a priest who it seems is so spiritually blind that he can't even recognize a faithful woman praying, he thinks she's drunk. There's much more that can be said of that in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of 1 Samuel. But despite this tragic, comedic interaction with a faithless priest, so it seems, even so, God hears his prayer when he says in verse 17, The Lord grant your request. And God hears it. Verse 19, the blessing comes. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Hannah, who was barren, is now blessed. Blessed with a son. But here's what's amazing about this story of blessing. It's not amazing that she was barren and now blessed. What's amazing is how she regards her blessing. How Hannah understands her blessing. Because Hannah, in the way she handles her blessing, the way she regards her blessing, the way she treats her blessing, the way she even speaks about and names her blessing, she understands what this blessing is pure grace, pure gift, unearned. You see that she understands this blessing as pure grace, unearned in her prayer. There's grace in her prayer. Verse 18, before the child comes, she says to the Lord, May your servant find favor. It's the same word that's used of Noah in Genesis 6 8 to say, Noah found favor with God. It doesn't mean, as it sounds sometimes in our English, that favor means we've earned a favor. No, favor here in the Hebrew is the word for grace. Noah found the grace of God. Hannah, prayed for grace. May I know your grace, O Lord, your unearned mercy and grace. That's how she prays. She prays with grace, and she even there has grace in the name itself. Her name, Hannah, is Hannah, grace. Her name means grace. It's almost like God is saying before the story begins, just wait, even in her name. Grace is about to break in here. It's in her name. But it's also the way she names her son, Samuel. Shama hear, El, God. God hears. Or to her point in verse 20, it means asked of God. She names the son asked of God so that she will never forget the origin, she will never forget the reason, not her earned favor, but his amazing grace. Asked of God, this blessing asked of God, she knows and she names and she's prayed for a blessing that is all grace. Her words and her actions regarding her blessing point to God and his grace alone. The question for me and you is, do our words and actions regarding our blessings say the same? Do the way that we talk about our blessings and the way we use the blessings God has poured into our lives, do these declare that we understand this is all grace unearned, not mine? Part of the reason One of many reasons, but one of the reasons I got off social media two years ago, and I'll tell you, it's joyful. One of the reasons I got off social media two years ago was I became more and more disgusted with myself. And here's what I mean. I found myself constantly looking for opportunities to post pictures of my family, only the good pictures the happy pictures, when we're doing something wonderful or recognizing some amazing thing that's happening in our lives, and 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 I, I was duping myself into believing that I was doing it to give glory to God because I was using constantly the hashtag blessed. But really, at some point along the way, I began to ask myself, am I really posting this on Instagram and Facebook to demonstrate that I'm blessed by God. Yes, it's commendable in one sense. It's I didn't say it's all about me. Hashtag all about me. But really, is it about God in that moment, or is it really more of a hashtag humble brag? Look at me. Oh yes, I'll give glory to God. But look at me, humble brag. So often, what we ha- what we see happen to our blessings is we begin to use them and talk about them in such a way that we're truly putting them on display for others. We're getting the glory. God is not. We've never really truly surrendered them because we've never truly named them. Asked of God. Grace alone. As Daniel Thompson, writing out of New York, says... It's almost as if the internet now exists simply to voyeuristically hate read all of the ways everyone else in the world has been blessed. There is literally no other word, blessed, that can simultaneously inspire such animosity and such rapture. The question isn't for us, have we been blessed? We have. The question is, how do we regard our blessing? How do we name our blessing? Is it asked of God or is it somehow earned by me? We see in Ephesians chapter 2 again a description of this blessing that God has poured on us by grace alone. But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We like Hannah, who have been barren, God has blessed. But it's for a reason. See, we like Hannah who were barren, God has blessed, not for our own sake, but that we may bless others with those blessings. Look at verse 11 of Hannah's story. And she's in her prayer to God, she says in verse 11, a vow that she took, saying, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord. All the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. She's saying, If you bless me, I'll give it back to you. Give me a son, and I'll give him back to you to serve you. And the no razor on the head thing is Leviticus 6 about a Nazarite vow. You don't cut the hair of someone who's been consecrated to the Lord's service, someone who is set apart, given wholly and completely to God, sanctified consecrated Nazarite do you hear the core of Hannah's prayer in the midst of her barrenness bless me that I may bless others it's the core of our biblical understanding of what to do with our stuff It's the core of our biblical understanding of understanding why and how God blesses us. Back in Genesis chapter 12, verse three, what does God say to Abram? He says, I will be your God and I will bless you and those who bless you, I will bless and those who curse you, I will curse and we want it to stop there, right? That sounds great. You're just gonna be on my side. No, it's for a reason. All this blessing for a reason. Genesis 12, verse three, through you, all God. the nations of the earth shall be blessed. As Christopher Wright says, if we're in Christ, we don't just share in Abraham's blessing. If we're in Christ, we're sent to spread Abraham's blessing. The blessing comes with a commission tied into it. I remember a parishioner a couple of years ago after a stewardship sermon came up to me the week after and said, the gospel really hit me this week. And so as I looked out on my classroom, he was a school teacher and he said, there was a little girl in his class. He said, I was convinced that she came to school hungry that day. And she'd come to school hungry a lot of times. And so he said, during my break, I felt compelled to go out. And I went out quickly to Chick-fil-A and I just grabbed two sandwiches stuck them in a bag and when lunchtime came I just quietly dropped the Chick-fil-A bag on her desk and carried on. And the girl opened up the bag and she looked in and she saw two sandwiches and she took one out and put it in front of her and then she looked around and said, who else needs something because I've got two and I want to share. See, true Generosity isn't a forced requirement of religion. True generosity is the natural response to grace. I'm gonna say that again. True generosity isn't a forced requirement of religion. True generosity is the natural response to grace grace as Karl Barth says gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning or in the words of Jesus freely you have been given freely give and Hannah follows through with it I mean it's amazing that she makes this vow this grace-filled vow, and she, when blessed, follows through. Verse 26 and 28 of our text. After Samuel, her boy, is weaned, she brings him up to Eli at the temple and says to Eli, O oh my Lord, as you live, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him, therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and Samuel worshiped the Lord there. It's a beautiful picture on Mother's Day to see in chapter 2 how year after year Hannah continued to live into that vow to the Lord, that gift to the Lord. As she went up to the temple each year, we're told in chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, that Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it up to him each year when she went with her husband for the yearly sacrifice. Year after year, a mother bringing a slightly larger robe as she continued to give to the Lord. And her impact was enormous. Hannah's impact was enormous. She gave Samuel to the nation. She gave the nation a prophet and a priest and a leader who would go on to anoint the truest picture of the king of israel until his own son of david jesus of nazareth would arrive hannah's gift made an enormous impact on the world and so does yours and so does mine and you may say no that's hannah what could i give that would make an enormous impact you know what scripture shows us again and again Scripture shows us that when people recognize that they're empty and God blesses them and then they give that blessing in blessing to others, God does something with it, miraculous. See, Hannah's story kind of prefigures another story, just an example. Here's Hannah, 1 Samuel 1, barren, prays for a son, gets a son, dedicates him as a Nazarite, no razor on the head, consecrated to the Lord, and that boy grows up to make an enormous impact on the nation. Elizabeth in Luke chapter one is barren in her old age. She's blessed with a son. He's set aside as a Nazarite, no razor on the head, set apart. And he becomes a tremendous blessing to the world as he prepares the way of the Lord. The point of these stories is when we give in to God, when we give into the way that God has made this world to work, when we allow the blessings he pours on us to be poured back out of us in blessing to others, that is where we make an impact on this world. You'll never make a bigger and more lasting impact on this world than as you take the blessings God has placed in your hands and you give it back to God to bless others. Because if you don't believe me, giving up your best for the sake of the world is written into the heart of this creation because it's the very heart of God to give up the very best for the sake of others. God so loved the world that he gave his only son to the end that all that would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Our text from John 15 today, Jesus says to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, this that someone lay down his life for his friends and you are my friends. Giving up our very best to bless others is written into the fabric of creation because it's written into the character of God. And withholding what God has blessed you with from God will just frustrate you and me. Withholding from God what he's placed in our hands to place back in his hands will just frustrate you and me because we know there's something written into us. I don't know if it happens before conversion. I felt guilty for my lack of generosity a bit when I was a pagan. Or maybe it happens when the Holy Spirit comes in your life. But as God enters more and more into your life, as you resist giving back the blessings he's poured in your hands back into his hands, you just frustrate yourself because we know that a day will come when we will have this amazing, gracious opportunity to behold fully what our gifts have meant for this world, what impact they've had. That we will stand there and a stranger we've never met will tell us that you're giving somehow through a gift to the church or a mission organization or some charitable enterprise in Jesus' name that you gave to, that that person was brought to a place of salvation. Some coworker will tell you, a coworker you never knew came to know the Lord, that they did so watching an online stream service from your own church that you'd been faithfully supporting. And that person is now in eternity with you. Or a little Rwandan, probably not little Rwanda by that point, they'll be fully grown, I suppose. A Rwandan person will walk up to you and say, yeah, you and your church built multiple schools in our country. And I, along with thousands of others, came to know the Lord in those schools and we're with you for eternity. That's what frustrates us when we don't give. We know that day is coming. We're fighting against it. So don't fight. I want to live generously, but I often fail to do it. I'm not alone, but we fail because we forget. We fail to be generous because we forget the gospel, the gospel of generosity. You will never outgive God. And so that's why we come to church. Because as we come to church, through word and through sacrament, we're reminded of the gospel. And today it's Hannah's story that reminds us that we who were so barren and empty, God has blessed grace upon grace. But it's for a reason. So that we would bless others so that we would look more like our God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.